So um, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And um, our, our verse today is actually verse 12, but I'm going to read from verse, verses 9 to 15, and then, and then I'll pray. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Jesus is speaking here. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, and we begin by thanking you, Lord, that you are a God who hears, who knows, who cares, and who loves, a God who answers, and God, we're just, we're happy, and we're, we're glad and stoked that you are our God, and Jesus, we want to thank you that you have made prayer possible, and that you give us this, this model prayer, the Lord's prayer, your prayer, that we can pray through you to the Father because you take our sin, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for, for your indwelling in us, that you act through us and empowering us and enabling us to pray. So Holy Spirit, we ask you and we invite you um, here now to teach us how to pray and to teach us the scriptures about prayer. And Lord, we just ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So today, in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, we come to a confession. And the confession is forgive us. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. But this fifth petition, it stops us right in our tracks. As soon as we come to forgive us, this just, it's, we halt. Because many of us are struggling with things in the past. Things that, things that and, and some things, some horrific things that have been done to us, or even things that we've done to others. And, you know, we can't just treat these things lightly because of the gravity, because of the weight of how serious and how heinous some of these things are. Or, I mean, even other things, they just kind of slide down the scale and they move down to, to a basic offense that we just hang on to for one reason or the other, and we don't even really know why. Now, none of us here want to live in a, in a state of guilt or, or anger or shame or denial, nor do we want to um, be blind and not see to live unaware or deny our shortcomings of where we need to be reconciled. Because it, it's difficult to see our shortcomings. It's difficult to see where we need to be reconciled or whom we need to be reconciled to. But what would it look like if you could be liberated from all of these things? What, what would it look like if you could be liberated from the past, from the things that you've done, or things that have been done to you? To be forgiven or to forgive? What if you could be set free of everything you've ever owned anyone? 
Or how about forgiving what is owed to you? Now, one of the things that I love about the Lord's Prayer here is that it's really practical. It's practical and it shows the wisdom of Christ. Because, you know, our our minds tend to wander. You know, that's why Jesus gives us the model prayer. He gives us practical advice in prayer because he knows our needs, our struggles, our challenges that we face. And and he knows that we lack this focus in prayer. I mean, if any of you guys are like me, and maybe you've prayed with me and you've kind of wondered, sometimes when I lose focus in prayer, I mean, I, I don't know, out of the blue, I'll just start moaning. I'll be like, oh, God, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird. Now, God's not weird. I'm weird. But, you know, again, he knows our needs. He knows our minds tend to wander. And, and I do it all the time. Maybe you do it too. But what Jesus does is give us a way to be focused. That's why it's a model prayer, and it's a good way to pray. And so the prayer, the petitions here, go from adoration to praise, to submission, to provision, and now we have confession. We have confession here. But where there's confession, I mean, you have to be vulnerable here. Not only do you have to be transparent, but you have to be vulnerable. So I love the way that Jesus starts the model prayer with relationship. You see, he starts with our Father. He starts with our Father in heaven. Not our earthly Father, because sometimes... For some of us, our earthly fathers really jacked us up. But our Father in heaven. And, and then he moves on to hallowed be your name. Because God is holy. And, and he calls us to live holy lives because we were made in his image. And so he wants us to live set apart, a life wholly devoted to him. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, not my will. Because my will, as it's found in second opinions of the Tariq-inspired, nearly-inspired version, is, is vengeance is fine. That's my will. But God's will is vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And on earth as it is in heaven, when all things are going to be made right, the justice of earth, Jesus Christ, is going to come back to set up this new kingdom. Everything, all wrongs, will be made right and reconciled. And then we move to give, give us this day our daily bread. And again, as we saw last week, Jesus is not just concerned about our, our eternal and, and spiritual food, which ultimately is him. He's the bread of, of heaven that came down from heaven. Jesus is not only concerned with that, our spiritual, eternal consequences, but he also cares about our daily needs. Everything that we need in our life for daily subsistence. And so now we come to this confession. But what's interesting about the text today is that Jesus says, and I want want you to read this with me. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus says that we should pray to our Father asking to forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus puts this in a very provocative way here. Notice notice with me that there there are two parts. Part one is forgive us. Part two is as we forgive others. Though they're, they're distinct, they're really very intimately related because they, they hinge, they hinge on this one word, as. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. 
And Jesus goes one step farther. He puts it in even more provocative language in verse 14 and 15. So skip with me down there. He makes the same linkage, watch this, in terms of a promise and a threat. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. See, he promises, the promise here is that if you are a forgiving person, God will forgive you. But then he threatens, if, if you're not forgiving, or if we are not forgiving, that we ourselves will not be forgiven. And Jesus is very adamant about it. If you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. And what I find interesting here is that Jesus only thinks to comment on this one item in the prayer. He, dr- he brings it back, having ended the prayer, back and returns to the subject of forgiveness, which shows how serious it is. So what Jesus essentially does is that he's providing commentary for what he said in verse 12. It's the only commentary that we find in this prayer. It's not part of the prayer, and we don't find it with any other of the items, with daily bread, with how holy he is, or with anything. So why? Why is it that when we get to this text that Jesus seems to give commentary on this petition of confession. You see, this confession seems to be conditional. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He draws a line in the sand, so to speak. He draws a line. So my question is, who can actually pray this prayer? I mean, I I thought that forgiveness was unconditional, not conditional. So does this prayer put me back under the law? Does it put you back under the law? And, and, and what if I don't pray? Am I really forgiven? So what I want to look at today is why we forgive others and then how it's all possible. Why we forgive others and how it's all possible. So let's first examine why we forgive others. We forgive others because it says that you are a forgiving person. Forgive me as I forgive. What it says about you is that your whole posture, your whole mode, your whole way of being is forgiveness. And as a Christian, forgiveness should be your deepest instinct because it's the mark that God has actually forgiven you. Now, what Jesus isn't saying is that because you forgive, then God will forgive you because there's no merit involved here. You can't earn your forgiveness. It's a gift. So there's nothing that we can do. He's not teaching or suggesting that that forgiving anyone else gains us any merit before him because we can't earn the forgiveness of God. Rather, the thrust of what Jesus is teaching here is it's actually very radical and demanding. So what exactly is being required? Nothing less than being able to forgive anyone, anything, at any time, period. So Jesus is saying that your forgiveness of other people is actually a reflection that you have truly understood that God has forgiven you. Now picture with me for a second. You you know, you stand before the throne of God. and And I know my sins. I mean, God knows my sins. Actually, my wife knows some of my sins, or 
all of my sins, I should say, and then I know, but really, only God knows and you know. And so you're going to come before the throne of God, and you lift up your hands, and you marvel, and you, I mean, this is what I think. I think to myself, I'm like, God, I am a sinner. I deserve hell. I deserve death. And that realization came, I mean, obviously, after I started following Jesus and identifying with Jesus, because I didn't, I didn't think that I deserved hell. I just, I didn't really know. I didn't really even care. But God doesn't and didn't give me hell. And he doesn't give you hell. Rather, he gives you everything. He gives you everything in Christ. And so I took my filthiness to him, and God redeemed me. He gave me Christ, and he gave me everything. So where my, my, my feet used to once walk down paths of unrighteousness and destruction, now he sets my feet high on a lofty place. Where he, he pulled me up out of the miry clay, and he restored me. Once a vessel of unrighteousness, a broken vessel, yet he restored me and uses me for his glory. And that's what he wants to do with you. It's, I mean, you just stand there and you say, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. I've actually told God, I'm like, Lord, I'm a pastor in San Francisco. You're funny. Because it just doesn't make any sense. That's a comedy. It really is. But that's the position of your heart. That's how your heart feels. You just can't believe that God has forgiven you just like that. And that causes you to be a person that is ready to forgive. That causes me to look at, you know, the things that I get mad about, and I find this more and more to be true every single day, the things that I'm criticizing others, the things that I'm upset about others for is just simply this very same things that I'm not doing. So, you know, we can't be, I can't be, and you can't be severely critical of others without some sense of something being wrong. I mean, without some equilibrium being, being out, out of sorts. Because you've been shown this great mercy. And so, therefore, it's required of you to show mercy to others. And that's the link that Jesus is making between prayer and forgiveness. Because in prayer, Jesus says that we really manifest what's in our hearts. And God lays down this principle for us to accept. We cannot come before God and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins without some type of evidence of forgiving others of what they have done to me. Because our readiness to forgive others is our evidence that we ourselves have been forgiven by God. Now, we have uh, two parables that, that really illustrate this point. The first is in Luke uh, 7, and it starts in verse 37. But the occasion of the parable is that there's this woman, and she, she comes to break into a meal that Jesus is having at this house of, uh, of a certain Pharisee. And the Pharisees during that time, they were the religious elite. And so here this woman comes, and she wants to anoint Jesus' feet with oil or anoint him with oil. But yet, and so she breaks into this house, she comes in, she gets behind Jesus, and before she can even come to him, she breaks down, comes undone, and starts weeping and sobbing 
And she falls to the ground and she's behind him and she's just sobbing and she takes her, her hair and wipes his feet with her tears to wash his feet. And all what she can do at that point is just simply anoint his feet, his feet because she, she's so overcome by emotion, she just she can't get there. And, and the Pharisees, Simon, whose house this was, I mean, they're disgusted. They're thinking to themselves, if Jesus were a real prophet, he would know that this woman is a whore. And he would know how this woman has sinned. And there is no way that they would even, that he would even let her touch him. But Jesus responds with a rhetorical question. I love this. Jesus is always like, I mean, somebody thinks something and Jesus is like, let me ask you a question. Who loves more? You're like, uh, uh. And then, so, this, he, so Jesus tells this story, um, it, it carries on in Luke 7.41, tells a story of a certain money lender. And this money lender had two debtors, one who, who owed a, a large sum of money and the other who owed a lesser amount. And so when they couldn't pay, the money lender forgave both of their debts. And so Jesus asks Simon and says, uh, which one of the money lenders, or which one of the debtors will love the money lender more? And Simon's like, uh, I guess uh, the one who was forgiven more? And Jesus is like, bingo. Number one answer. And picture with me for a second here. So once he says this, now Jesus turns his gaze to the woman while he's speaking to Simon, and he's like, do you see this woman here? Simon, you didn't do anything that this woman did for me. She came and she wiped my feet with her tears and she anointed me with oil. And I'm a guest in your house and you have done none of this. Certainly, for her sins are many, but she loves much. So what we see here is a woman who understood the depth of her own sin and responded in love and worship. Now, the, the, the hidden subtext here is, is that you and I are like Simon the Pharisee because you and I don't realize it. You, you and I don't see our own sin oftentimes, so we don't show it just like Simon the Pharisee. So would you consider yourself before you approach God and ask yourself, consider yourself before God. Now contrast this with the parable in Matthew um, 18. The occasion of this parable is that Jesus tells um, a parable of a servant whose financial debt is just, um, it is absolutely debilitating. The Bible says 10,000 talents. I don't know how much that is, but probably it's, an, it's such an enormous amount, it's probably like some of your student loans here. It's just outrageous. And so, in other words, it's just a really large sum of money. Anyways, the king calls him in, and wanting to settle his account with his manager, uh, the manager falls down, and he begs the king, and he says, king, please have mercy on me. For, for this is a large sum of money. Please be patient with me. And the text says that 
that the, that the king was moved to compassion, that his heart went out, his heart went out for him. And out of pity, he forgave him the loan, the entire thing. A complete act of mercy, the king here cancels the entire debt. So many of you know what happens next. This manager goes home, and then he has one of his servants come to him, who owed him pennies on the dollar, a day's wage. And, and what, is it, what does he do? And, and the servant actually begs and says exactly the same thing that he petitioned the king. He asked, have mercy on me. And what does he do? He chokes him out. He chokes him out. So the king hears about this. And I mean, just as any one of you guys would be, I mean, I read this and I come to this, I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm so mad. And then we read, and the king went and heard about this and said, you wicked servant. He said, how could you? Certainly, you're going to go I'm going to lock you up. I'm going to throw away the key until you've paid me the very last penny. You see, the king made himself vulnerable here. Not vulnerable by, you know, losing this 10,000 talents or this ginormous amount of money. But he made himself vulnerable because by the fact that he risked the servant abusing the newfound freedom that he was given. So the point here is that we have the choice to work in the power of the world. And notice here that the, that the, the power of the world is, is kind of this exchange cycle. It's almost this rhythm here that, that says what comes around goes around. And, and it, it's this cycle. Or we choose to embody this prayer. And that's why this, this prayer stops us in our tracks at forgiveness. Because, it, I mean, look at what it does here. What it does is that it breaks the entire cycle of this exchange. It's like taking a, a monkey wrench and just throwing it in the machine. And the thing just, it stops. It stops. And offering forgiveness, I mean, essentially, <clears throat> excuse me, it offers up forgiveness by way of this vulnerability. So you see, forgiveness, or even just a forgiving nature, a forgiving disposition. Anything that just says, even if you have forgiveness on your mind, this is what identifies you. It's a beautiful mark of Christian character and, and a mark that identifies us as Christians. In contrast, uh, to harbor grudges, to, to, to refuse to forgive, to stand your ground and say, you know what, that will never happen to me again. I will never talk to that person. I don't want to see them. Don't even mention them. I'm done. And this hardness of heart happens. To refuse to forgive, to, ref to, to never have anything to do with is the very opposite of the character that Jesus gives us. In fact, a persistent failure to forgive others makes it doubtful to whether one has actually received forgiveness in the first place. Because confession, as we see, is not only an act, but it's also an attitude. So our prayer today <clears throat> recognizes, <clears throat> excuse me, that we have absolutely no right to seek forgiveness before God <clears throat> and say to him, Lord, forgive me, but yet I'll never forgive him. We just can't do it.
For if anyone says, I'll never forgive you, that person really isn't aware of his own sins, but only aware of the sins and even vengeful sins of another, just like the wicked servant. You see, the realization of what we are and who we are as sinners and the realization of of what God has done for us and what he has shown us leads us to thankfulness. It's the only place that we can go. And, and from thankfulness, it leads us into to mercifulness, to, be, to become mercy, to become pas- compassionate upon others. Because God has, in dealing with us, shown us all of these things first. It's the spiritual gratitude which flows from the sense of what God has done for us. And, and friends, it's absolutely essential for our prayer. So we forgive others because it's actually the proof that you are forgiven. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, the man who knows he has been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. If we really know Christ as our savior, our hearts are broken and cannot be hard and we cannot refuse forgiveness. For if you are refusing forgiveness to anybody, I suggest that you have never been forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I say to the glory of God and in utter humility that whenever I see myself before God and realize even something of what my blessed Lord has done for me, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. I don't, I don't even want to withhold it. Now that is... That is the richness of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And and because he does that for us, he expects us to do it for others. Again, remember last week we said that, that any gift from God is meant to be shared, his word, his proclamation. And, and if we hold on to these things, you know, these, these things tend to become, these good things tend to become you know, almost like God things. They're ultimate things. And it leads to our destruction. So next, let's examine uh, how it's all possible. How it's all possible and, and, and where does the power to forgive come from? I mean, you know, we read about Jesus uh, just with a spoken word calms a storm. These, I mean, this, this storm. Or with demons, just says, demon be gone. Or touches someone, and the demons flee. But, but the power to forgive, again, now we're just almost arrested. We come to a grinding halt because we hold on to this. And, and, and the same power that Jesus uses to calm the storm, to raise the dead, to heal disease comes down to forgiveness and is, and is met here. And I want you all, I mean, this is the thing that I've come to realize in, in, in kind of wrestling through this, is that what Jesus is essentially doing here is that he's giving us a command. He's telling us, you better do this. And that's why he provides commentary. So it's not like, uh, okay, I'll think about it. It's an obligation. It's a duty. 
So maybe right now you're thinking, well, easy for you to say, um, but you don't know what uh, that person did to me, or you don't know my background. And I can tell you here on this side of things, many of you don't know my, my background, but I never thought, I never thought that I could ever be forgiven for those things. Or maybe you're like, uh, God, faced with this, with this command, you're like, God, I, j- I just can't do it. It's too much. You don't know what you're asking me to do. I just cannot do it. But church, I want to remind you that, uh, that whenever God gives us a command, he always, always gives us the grace to do it. He always meets us there. And I, I'm reminded of one of my favorite, well, the very, one of the very first scriptures I ever memorized was Philippians 4.13. I think that's where it is. It says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Dave always jokes around and he says that, well, I want to dunk a basketball. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not what he's, it's the context and what that's being spoken of. It's in the context of, of something that, that you'd have to lower yourself to do. That you would have to, again, because God resists the proud, but he lifts up the humble. So something like coming to forgiveness and to say, you know what? I'm going to get lower here. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God always gives us the needed grace to command anything so that we won't have, the, have an, even the, the little tiny excuse to just say, you know what, I can't do it. Friends, we have the grace. There was a, uh, Alexander Pope, who's an 18th century English poet, um, wrote this. He said, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. And, I mean, I wonder if he really knew what he was writing. Because consider with me for a moment how difficult it is to forgive. Someone has to take the hit. Someone has to absorb the pain. You see, because forgiveness doesn't come without a very big price tag. It's a debt. Now, in, in our society today, we understand debt because we have a national debt of $11 billion. <clears throat> and most of us tend to be very aware of our financial debt. I mean, it's, and it's, we're reminded by it every single month in the mail. We open up the mail, and I, I, I get things. I'm like, oh, great. Um, I owe, I owe, I owe. I mean, it's pretty bad. I start thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm in debt. And we tend to get very anxious about it. I mean, I, I, even I do. I mean, we don't necessarily have in, you know, debt, uh, but I, I get anxious about it. Even like that 24-day cycle, I get a little bit nervous about because I see the amount. It just keeps on adding up, adding up, adding up, adding up. Meanwhile, what we don't have a keen awareness is uh, to is our spiritual debt. Because we don't see sin in terms of debt. But there is a legal obligation to repay. And if not, well then justice must be served. So what Jesus is saying here is that every time that you and I have a sin of omission or a sin of commission, that we're accruing more debt to God. So you owe him. 
and I owe him. I mean, could you imagine if, if in the mail, like, you came home and you were like, God sent you a bill for all of the, the debt that you owed to him? You'd be like, whoa. Like, I'm never getting out of this. And every month, it just keeps on getting worse and worse. I mean, you can't, there's no way you can pay it. It's impossible. It is impossible. We're in debt to God. You see, sin and debt are material equivalents. And sin is a debt before God. Now, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the first half of it. And then the psalmist writes in Psalm 130, he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? Who could stand before that impossible debt? Maybe, and really, we, we need to go back to the rest of Romans and that, that glorious verse, which is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, because Jesus is our ransom. Jesus is our payment. Because Jesus is God. And he comes to live a life without sin in our place. He dies and takes our place, pays our debt to God. He rises, he gives us new life, and, and, then, he, and then he leaves uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us so that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And he brings us forgiveness and newness of life. That means that if you come to Jesus, all your past, everything that you've done is forgiven. Past, present, and future, all debt is canceled. It's forgiven. Because the gospel is all about forgiveness. It's about God forgiving sinners. And that's amazing. It's amazing because... I, well, and again, go back with me and imagine, like, you, you read this and you come to that conclusion and then I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus forgives debt. And then you call, I'm, I'm calling up the, the uh, student loan company. I'm like, um, yeah, hi there. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. I'm doing great. Hey, listen, I was just reading the Bible today and it says that Jesus forgives debt. What do you think about that? I mean, they're going to be like, listen, bud, not here, no way, never. It's not happening. We, we, we accrue interest. We add late fees and penalty. You owe us. And then we come looking for your cars and your children and your neighbor's dog. That's what we do. We'll bankrupt you, essentially. But Jesus became as one who is unforgivable in order that, that we may know this divine forgiveness so that we may in turn forgive others. All of this is possible because he loves us. Not because of anything that we've done. And I want you to see this rhythm here. This is the cycle that we need to be on. The cycle that we need to be on is this. Is that we love God because he loved us first. We forgive others because he forgave us. 
And so the same thing applies for mercy, compassion, for all of these things. God's pattern is to be our pattern. The way of Jesus is self-denial. Because, again, it's, it's, it's wrapped up in, in the verse that says, if you strive to find your life, you're going to lose it. Because whoever sees himself as his own life being central to, to meaningful existence actually loses everything. An unforgiving spirit bears strong witness to the fact that he has never repented. So St. Francis of Assisi says this, final, last point. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be, to be love as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being a good and loving and gracious and merciful and compassionate and attentive, devoted and faithful father to us, your children, to all those who call you father. And we can thank you that through our Lord, Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into your family as sons and daughters that we can forgive as we have been forgiven and receive all of the rights and all of the privileges as his children. Amen.